doesn't take long to become hooked on these things and you don't know you're hooked until you stop and they take it away and then you start experiencing that withdrawals which is not a pleasant feeling and you're you know the quickest thing and the easiest thing sometimes to get is the the illegal uh you know the heroin and stuff like that off the corner enchanted sky media media Federal Resources Studio. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. If you're injured on the job, you'll likely be prescribed an opioid pain medication. They're a double-edged sword. It can be tough to get them, even when you really need them. But then you might be surprised how quickly you can become addicted to them if you do get what you want. And believe me, doctors are terrified of losing their licenses these days. That means they'll cut you off in a big hurry. What can you do if you become addicted? Here to discuss that is Mark Lamplew Jr. He's a fourth-generation firefighter and a former captain with the Lower Chichester, Pennsylvania Fire Company. Mark is the communications director at Deer Hollow Recovery. He's also nationally recognized in crisis stress intervention through the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress. And Mark Lamplew joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me on the show tonight. I really appreciate it. Well, we seem to be at a crossroads lately. Doctors don't really want to prescribe opioids, so patients often can't get what they really need. But if they do, they can easily become addicted. How do we resolve this dichotomy? It's funny that you say that because my fiance, she's in a doctor or nursing program and she went to an event today with the uh, attorney general and they were talking about the opioid bill that just got signed in by President Trump. And she was telling me about what they were saying about, you know, going after the doctors for prescribing these medications, you know, and and creating the problem that we have now. I don't necessarily think that's probably the right answer because, like, as you said, there are people out there that these medications work for, you know, especially somebody, you know, as a firefighter that falls through a floor, breaks his back. He's going to need these medications, you know, to uh, relieve pain, and they do that quite well. But I I think more needs to be done on the educational piece of what can happen, you know, with, with these medications when you start to abuse them and Maybe another thing towards that is recognizing in people if they are going to have the predisposition to become addicted to these medications and maybe there's something else you can try before before this alternative. How long has this been a problem? I don't recall it being an issue 10, 20 years ago. I, I think it's probably within the last 
I would say mid 2000s is when this probably started towards the end of the 2000s when the Oxycontin just started coming out. There was no regulation in Florida with pain mills. They cracked down on that around 2000 and I think 13 or 14. And just recently with all the the heroin and really the reason why we're talking about opioid pain medications is because of all the heroin deaths that we're seeing now. But what they're contributing a lot of those heroin deaths too is the a lot of those people that are struggling with heroin, you know, they start it with opioid pain medication. Now, my understanding of how this works is that people started with opioid pain medications. Then sometimes when they weren't able to get any more of them, they went on to heroin, which they were able to get. Is that accurate? Yes, that is. You know, I, I've seen that. With, and, you know, you would think you wouldn't see a, you know, a firefighter or even a police officer buying heroin, but Oftentimes it happens because it's essentially the same thing. Heroin is the same ingredient or active ingredient that is in opioid pain medication. It's just one you buy off the corner and the one you get a prescription for. Well, you start out thinking you're okay because your doctor is prescribing these things. You're taking them for a year, maybe, you know, even a month. You know, it it doesn't take long to start uh, withdrawal symptoms with these. Uh, I've heard some, some say that it can three continuous days of use, you can start developing some sort of withdrawal from the medication, you know? So it doesn't take long to become hooked on these things and you don't know you're hooked until you stop and they take it away. And then you start experiencing that withdrawals, which is not a pleasant feeling. And you're, you know, the quickest thing and the easiest thing sometimes to get is the, the illegal, uh, you know, the heroin and stuff like that off the corner. For firefighters who were prescribed it for pain medication, what are the signs or are there signs of dependency other than when they try to quit? Usually if, you, if you're taking more than prescribed, so uh, your prescription's calling for one pill every eight hours, well, four hours into the your, your dose, you you find yourself taking another dose or or doubling up and taking two when it doesn't call for that. That's usually a pretty good indicator that you may be de- developing a tolerance for the medication, and you know you're through the euphoric part of it, and you're trying to get that euphoria back again because you now you're taking more than you're supposed to. That's usually the, probably one of the first signs that you probably got developed some sort of problem. Two would be, you know, you're waking up in the morning with, uh, you know, before you take your medication, uh, you know, you're gotten cold sweats, chills or shakes, uh, diarrhea, things like that. Uh, that's another indicator that you might be, you know, struck, you might think you had the flu, but it could be an addiction to the medication that you're taking. How much of a problem does it pose for firefighters to go back to work while they're still on these pain meds? I don't think you should probably be taking that medication if you're actively on the job. I'm sure there's many, at the the very least, you shouldn't be uh, in a burning structure, you know, under the influence of that medication, maybe on light duty. If you're out on an injury and you're they're they're wanting you to go back to work and you're still under the regimen of medications you should probably think very i would think twice about it all right but i'm looking at real world here and we i think we probably both know that when the prescription runs out the pain is often at least still partially there 
Yeah. So what do you what do you recommend? They say I still can't work, or they well, I mean, you know, maybe try non-narcotic pain medications while you're on shifts. You know, like aspirins or Tylenols or something like that, or you know, try something. There are non-narcotic pain medications that you can get from a doctor, newer ones now. Maybe try those while you're working, and then when you're not working, switch over to the ones you know that you're taking the, the opiates. But you want to try. You know, I, I would really want to be careful about what you're taking because you don't want that to become a factor if you get hurt again and they urine test you. Yeah, you have a prescription and it's okay, but it's it's really probably under what the doctor says. At the end of the day, if your doctor thinks it's okay and you're under the um, guidance of a doctor, you know, I guess that's kind of your personal call and what you feel you can do. You know your limitations as a person and an individual. I'll be back with more right after this. When that call comes in and you rush to head out, the last thing you're thinking about is your safety. But your safety is all Federal Resources thinks about. At Federal Resources, we work to make sure that every responder is equipped, trained, and ready to come home safely. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. Now, I am familiar with the situation where they, the doctor will say, all right, it's time to come off these, but at the same time, the pain is still present, so they recommend alternate forms of pain relief. But I think most firefighters will tell you that they're not all that effective. Mm-hmm. So, not, not when you're still working. You look at the jobs the firefighters do every day, you know. You're c- continuously kind of agitate that's why i think this is a a problem in the fire service that we need to watch out for because we run a very serious risk of injury i don't think if any firefighter that's been on the job 10 15 years every single one of them has been at least probably injured in some way or another at least once you know whether it's something minor like a minor burn or you know if they become dependent on these pain medications how likely is it that they're going to be able to quit on their own when they realize it? Quitting on your own is very difficult to do because of the withdrawal that opiate pain medications have. It's I've seen people do it. I don't, you know, recommend it because of you know, oftentimes what ends up happening is after two, three days, you end up, you know, picking up the drug again because the the discomfort is so great. Oftentimes they can't even get out of bed; they're so sick throwing up and and stuff like that you really it would be really strongly suggested that that's done under medical supervision in a medical detox or a treatment center such as you know the ones that i work for and is that inpatient or outpatient or how does that work opiate detox for those is most of the time inpatient 99 percent of the time uh, they do have uh, what's called they're starting to you're seeing a lot of talk about medical assistant therapies, which is like an outpatient type uh, deal where you're on like a suboxone maintenance or a methadone maintenance to help you kind of detox off those things. But it, it's recommended that you do an inpatient detox, I think. How long is that course of treatment? An opiate detox is minimum five days, maximum 10 days, depending on the... It's 
you know, it's medically permitted. So, you know, every individual is different, you know, taking a different amount. Some persons might get over quicker because of their body, you know, but the minimum is usually around five days and the maximum on opiates is 10, you know, somewhere around seven or 10 days. Is there any kind of a work-related stigma to to having gone to detox for this sort of thing? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, there's a, you know, that's probably one of the most difficult and probably the number one reason many people who are struggling don't put their hand out or go get help for it is because they're afraid of that stigma. You know, what are my coworkers, what are my fellow firefighters going to think of me if I go to detox for an opiate prescriptions or, you know, so that's, I think the number one hurdle is getting over the fact that if somebody, you know, if the guy got hurt on the job and he became addicted to these things, it's not sometimes not necessarily their fault that they became addicted. They didn't like get hurt on purpose and get prescribed these things on purpose and develop a tolerance to it. The stigma is probably the number one reason people don't get help. All right, Mark Lamplew, thanks for talking with me today here on Code 3. Thank you. And we put some more information about opioid addiction, as well as Mark's podcast on firefighter wellness, on our website, code3podcast.com slash addicted. Check it out. Now, here comes your trivia question. What's the current recommended rate of chest compressions for CPR? I'll even throw in a bonus question for extra credit. How deep should the compressions be? I'll have the answers right after this. Ever notice that Scott always tells you that you can get a guest's book at our website, code3podcast.com? That's because we have links to order their books from Amazon on the episode's show notes pages. It makes it easy for you to get the books, and it helps support Code 3. When you buy Amazon through our website, we get a small cut too, and it doesn't cost you any more to order through us. Plus, there are other firefighter-related products there too. Take a look at code3podcast.com. Here's the trivia answer. CPR chest compression should be done at a rate of about 100 to 120 per minute. Too slow and you're not creating enough perfusion pressure. And too fast means you won't let the heart refill with blood before pumping it. And you should be compressing the chest between 2 and 2.4 inches each time. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I sure hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.